This Compass presentation, Scientific Reasons We Can Trust the Bible, by Russ Miller, was presented at the Stealing the Mind Bible Conference. To view more Stealing titles, get information on our Holy Land trips and future Bible conferences, go to compass.org. You know, oftentimes I'm asked, in fact, I've been asked twice this morning, how do you know that aliens didn't place intelligent life here and we evolved from them? Well, watch the news for five minutes and then come back and tell me about that intelligent life, okay? <laughs> come on. So that's an easy one to answer. But in our scientific age, how can we know that we can trust the Bible? The answer is to trust God, trust what the Word of God tells us. Well, how in this world, when it's under complete attack, can we trust the Word of God? Let me give you 10 reasons I, I thought of. Number one, the Bible stands the test of time. It has been under relentless assault for 2,000 years plus, and it still stands up just fine. The two most famous 20th century archaeologists stated that the Bible was the single most accurate source document of all history. You know, there are many uh, scientific nuggets found in the Bible. The Bible is a history book. It's the true history book of the universe, but it makes statements that can be scientifically tested, hundreds of things. For instance, in Job, we're told he binds up the waters in his thick clouds. And in Isaiah, we're told the rain comes down and waters the earth, that it will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And in Ecclesiastes, we're told that the rivers then run into the sea. From whence they came, they return again. Well, that perfectly describes the earth's hydrologic cycle almost 3,000 years before we figured it out. The waters in the seas evaporate, bind up in thick clouds, move across the continents, rise, condense, rain or snow down, watering the land, providing seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And the excess waters bind up into rivers and return to the seas from whence they came. No wonder over 80% of the branches of modern science were started by Christians to study God's creation. Today, kids are thought are told Christianity has nothing to do with science, that science is against the Bible. Nothing could be further from the truth, but they own the system and they control the narrative. But over 80% of the branches of modern science started by Christians to study God's creation. Israeli archaeologists using the Bible to find King David's palace back in 2005 stated what's amazing about the Bible is it's amazingly accurate. You know, number two, I would talk about hard sciences. Let's take a look at physics. At the end of the creation, God said at the, at the end of the sixth day, after calling his creation very good, that the heavens and the earth were finished. God created, and at the end of the sixth day, he said, it's done, it's finished. Well, the first law of thermodynamics, the law of conservation of mass and energy, holds that matter and or energy cannot be created or destroyed. Matter can turn to energy, energy can turn to matter, but the entire amount of matter in the universe, matter and energy, is set. I think when God said creation was finished, you know what I think he meant? The creation was finished. You know, the Bible tells us uh, several times that the earth and the heavens are going to perish. They're going to wax old. They're going to wear out like a garment. The second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy, that things wear out. They lose information and order. 
they wear out. They wax old like a garment. This is the number one most accepted law in all of the 200 or so branches of modern science, except in evolutionary biology, <laughs> which says, oh, no, no, that doesn't apply here. It, it, everything's revolving bigger and better. Uh, we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Number three, what about genetics? You know, the Bible tells us in Genesis that the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Well, a study of men from all over the world with different backgrounds indicates we've all descended from one man known as the Y-chromosome Adam. In Genesis 2, we're also told that from the side or from Adam's rib, he made woman, he made Eve. Well, what does science say to either refute or support that? Males have the XY chromosome. Females have an XX chromosome. Well, without a Y in the female, Adam could not have come from Eve alone. But with an X in Adam's chromosome, Eve could have come from Adam. Real science supports exactly what the Word of God says. In fact, in Genesis, we're also told Eve was the mother of all living. Well, studies show that mankind can be traced back to one woman known as the mitochondrial or the African Eve. Well, Science News did a study on DNA mutation rates and reported that Eve might only be about 6,000 years old. <laughs> Imagine that. You know, the Bible's the, the, book, the one book in the world that lives on its ability to correctly predict the future. And in 2 Peter 3, we're told that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person. There, there were eight people on board Noah's ark, his, himself, his three sons, and each of their wives. There were four couples on Noah's ark, four distinct gene pools. Well, scientific studies say that all humans come from one of four distinct gene pools. <laughs> Real science, a believer's best friend. The first five words in Genesis are, in the beginning, God created. So Christians believe there is this uh, omnipotent, extreme form of intelligence behind the universe and the creation of all life. Well, that brings us to uh, DNA. A single cell's DNA, human DNA, single cell in, in your body contains three billion base pairs of genetic information per cell. And you're made up of an estimated 75 trillion cells. You know, we throw these big numbers around all the time, millions and billions and trillions, and I think we can sort of grasp a million Honestly, we don't grasp a billion, and we don't even have a clue when it comes to what a trillion is. So just to give us a, an idea on these huge numbers, let's use seconds as an example, like 60 seconds in a minute. A million seconds ago was 11 days ago. A million seconds was 11 days ago. What's the difference between a million and a billion? If a million seconds ago was 11 days ago, a billion seconds was back in 1989. That's the difference between a million and a billion. Well, what's the difference between a, a, a billion and a trillion? 
Well, a trillion seconds ago would be 32,000 years of time. That's the difference between a billion and a trillion. Or how many trillions in debt? Oh, never mind. That's, that's, <laughs> we don't even want to think about that. Well, think about this. So you're made up of 75 trillion cells, and each of those cells' DNA contained 3 billion base pairs of genetic information per cell. Well, do the math on that. I'm not even going to try to. Genetic information also, we know now, can read forwards and backwards. They think it might even read diagonally. They're not sure. Think about this. The best human technology reads in one direction. Try to write a half-page paper, and reading forward, it tells you how to operate a cell phone. And reading backwards, it tells you how to build a sailboat. <laughs> we can't do that even with computers, but that's what your genetic information does. It reads forwards and backwards, and not just a half a page, billions of pieces of genetic information. Wow, in fact, this researcher stated, when the DNA-RNA system became understood, the debate between creation and evolution should have come to a screeching halt. There should be nothing to even talk about. Some people, because they want to deny God or their hearts have been hardened, unfortunately, try to say this evolved on its own from a wet rock. You couldn't get, a, get two words in a row coming from a wet rock. So this should have brought the, uh, the debate to a halt. In fact, the Bible tells us the invisible things uh, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, so that they, non-believers, will stand before their creator with no excuse. There will be zero excuses when we stand before our loving creator and say, we didn't think you could do what you said you did. No excuse at all. Number four is the complete, utter, and total failure of the world's opposing worldview to biblical creation, and that is Darwinian evolutionism. The Bible tells us, professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God, which I think today is his creation, into an image made like corruptible man and, and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I think they're going to change creation into the fairy tale of Darwinian evolution that lets you think you're the most evolved, you're your own God. We call that humanism today. And it's taught as if it were a scientific fact in our schools. And I'll get into that this afternoon. But uh, these verses are talking about idolatry. The highest form of idolatry is to think you're the most evolved, you're your own God. Humanism taught in our schools today, as if it were science. Ten times in the book of Genesis, we're told that plants and or animals will bring forth after their kind. Ten times we're told this in Genesis. Real science, real biology finds that kinds only bring forth after their kind. You can breed roses and you'll get, you can get red roses and pink roses and white roses, etc., but roses are only going to produce roses. The changes within those kinds, and you can call that microevolution, you can call it microadaptations or microvariations. 
they only take place within that kind. I like to use dogs in a, as an example because we're probably all familiar with dogs. Any of you guys have a pet dog? If you breed two dogs together, you expecting them to have cats, <laughs> dolphins, rats, rose bushes? No, I bet you're expecting them to have puppies, aren't you? Kinds are only going to bring forth after their kind, even though there can be wide variation. Uh, the reason they only bring forth after their kind is that the changes, the micro changes, are caused by the sorting or loss of the starting genetic information. It's a process called genetic depletion or genetic entropy. Uh, breeders use this all the time, like, like farmers. They can breed corn for all sorts of end uses. Some that are better for corn oil, corn starch, cattle feed, uh, for people to eat. Uh, you can get all sorts of corn, but corn only produces corn, and the changes are caused by the sorting or the loss of the genetic information. Never will you see corn produce a rat, a rose, or a robin. That's just simply not going to happen. Dogs only produce dogs. Birds only produce birds. You'll never see a bird produce a golden finch retriever. <laughs> it's, it's just simply, it's not going to happen. Take, take my word for that. So this is how you scientifically destroy Darwinism in four seconds flat. Gene depletion plus natural selection makes Darwinism a scientific impossibility. Stop your watch. This is why they have no viable examples to show. None. I have one message on Darwinian evolution. One. There's, there's nothing else to talk about after the top 10 Darwinian frauds. I give them on college campuses. We've had biology teachers quit their job and become a Christian afterwards. The facts are on our side. We just don't own the system. So gene depletion and natural selection. Gene pools get weaker and weaker. Gene depletion, if they went unchecked, everything would go extinct in about 1,500 years. Why hasn't everything gone extinct? Well, we call it natural selection. There's no selector standing there. They lose too much, they die off. It's God's quality assurance program. Keeps his original created gene pools genetically sound. Number five, let's go to anthropology. And look at this, they talk about almost human or human evolution and talk about another utter and complete failure. You know, Darwin's book, The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. The Bible indicates there's one race, the human race. We didn't evolve to different races as Darwin is dangerously dangerously pretend. No, we're all made in the image of God. You know, let's talk about some of their supposed great missing links, like flat-faced man. All they found was a, uh, 50 pieces of a small skull that had been crushed. So they had 50 little pieces. Well, they reconstructed those 50 pieces. It could have come out looking like the Taj Mahal if they wanted it to. And after they put it back together, they said, think about this, its face is is slightly flatter than a normal ape's face. And in the textbooks, it goes as a close relative to humans. They forgot to point out it stood about three and a half feet tall, had a very small brain about the size of a baseball. 
Might have been a developing politician, I'm not sure, but. <laughs> That, that was a cheap shot. I got to tell you, these politicians are retiring with tens of millions of dollars. Who's the, who's the, who are the dumb ones in this scenario? That's another issue altogether. Orsay Man was found in Spain. All they found was a piece of a skull cap, and they announced it was the oldest human fossil ever found in Europe, making the, the finders world-renowned evolutionists for a while, until they actually discovered that the skull cap came from a donkey. <laughs> Hmm. That's the real Orsay man right there. <laughs> Nebraska man was used as proof for Darwinism. All that was found in Nebraska man was a piece of a broken tooth. <laughs> but from that broken tooth, they recreated Nebraska man, his family, the tools they would have worked with. It was later proven that tooth came from an extinct peccary, an extinct pig. There's the real Nebraska man right there. So Ida was found back in 1983, and they just sat on it for 26 years. And then in 2009, it was held as proof we evolved from primates. It turned out it was nothing but a lemur, which you can find in zoos around the world today. Well, this biology book shows nice, colorful lines connecting humans to all sorts of apes and primates, uh, such as the tarsier. They're teaching kids we evolved from tarsiers. We're related to tarsiers. Grandma, what big eyes you've got. Hmm. I'm sorry, you have to laugh at this, though. You just have to laugh until you realize they've been, we've been losing 90% of our kids for the last 30 years. Wow. Because although we can make this look really stupid, and it is, we're not there in those classrooms, are we? And the kids are taught this is true. Frankfurt University's Professor Reiner Prosch von Zeiten was a world-renowned evolutionary anthropologist. He had supposedly discovered the oldest known Homo sapien that he dated at 36,000 years old, making him world-renowned. And it, it was proven he was a total and complete fraud. In fact, one of the skulls he was touting came from a man who died in the 1750s. How does grave robber sound? No wonder Dwayne Gish stated Darwinism is a substance of fossils hoped for, the evidence of links unseen. <laughs> My friends, people come in various shades of skin. We didn't evolve to different levels, and um, we were all made in the image of God. And the scientific proof of that is we can do blood transfusions and kidney transplants from people all over the globe. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. And my friends, there's only two viable options out there as to why we're here. Either the world evolved and we've evolved to different human races like Darwinists teach, or God created the world and created mankind in, in his image like the Word of God tells us. Where I live in Arizona, it's near Sedona, and they do, it's the new age capital of the world. They do have that group that says, well, maybe we're not here at all. Maybe we just think that we're here. But as a general rule, I don't pay much attention to that. And I covered Darwinism in my one and only teaching about it, the top 10 Darwinian frauds in the textbooks. You notice you've probably seen some of these. This, if, you took, uh, if you went through high school, you were shown these as their proofs. Notice how their proofs are always drawings? I guess Darwinists can't afford cameras. But there's an old saying that goes like this, Darwinists are experts at drawing things that never existed 
to support their theory that never took place. You take away their box of crayons and they've got nothing. Wow. And I cover that in my book, Cost, as well. Number six are dinosaurs. How in the world do dinosaurs fit into a biblical time frame and worldview? And that's a picture of my wife, Joanna, by the way. She's the pretty one with the white blouse on, right? <laughs> to the lower right there. I got to work on my timing a little bit, but... What's the first line you read to your loving children and grandchildren right before they go to bed at night? 65 million years ago, dinosaurs went extinct. The first line in a secular dinosaur book, they go right for the jugular. They're planning their foundation, their worldview, which is millions and billions of years of time, which is why everything you see today is millions and billions of years old, supposedly. That's their foundation. Well, you see, you've just taught those children that death and suffering existed for millions of years before man came along. Later, you try to tell that same child by one man, sin entered the world, and death by man's sin, and they're sitting there going, well, wait a minute, Mom, wait a minute, Granddad, you, you've been telling me death and suffering existed for hundreds of millions of years before man. See the stumbling block? I should mention, Satan is really good at what he does. So... Tell you what, I'm going to show you some evidence here about dinosaurs, and, and I want you to, you know, be honest with yourself. I'm not going to tell you what to think, but I'm going to show you information. You make your own decision what you want to believe about dinosaurs and man. But let me say this. If dinosaurs have been extinct for 60-plus million years before a man came along, how much evidence of man and dinosaur living at the same time will, will there be? Absolutely nothing. If they've been gone 65-plus million years, how much evidence of fresh dinosaur material will be found today? Absolutely nothing, right? Let's look at some information. You make your own mind up on what you want to believe, the biblical interpretation or the atheistic secular interpretation. First of all, the word dinosaur wasn't invented until 180 years ago. Prior to that, they were called dragons and serpents. Ancient history books are full of thousands of accounts of man and dragons. We call those dragon stories today. Let me give you a couple examples that come out of what is now India. You heard of Alexander the Great? When they conquered that area 2,300 years ago, they wrote that their his soldiers were scared by the great dragons that lived there 2,300 years ago. Apollonius of Tana wrote 1,900 years ago that the whole of India is girt with enormous dragons, killers of elephants. Well, it takes quite a critter to kill and eat a healthy adult elephant. We don't have any such animals today. Something different in the area that's India now, uh, 1,900 years ago. Hey, think about this logically. We find cave drawings and man-made carvings in wood and stone and, and various metals all over the world of various dinosaurs. Now, look at this on a timeline. Here we are today. We're told these things were made 700 to 2,000 years ago. Well, we didn't recognize dinosaur bones until just 190 years ago. If we didn't recognize dinosaur bones until 190 years ago, how come people all over the world knew what they looked like 700 to 2,000 years ago? Unless they saw them. This cave drawing of a, a duck-billed dinosaur, specifically a Parasaurolophus, was found in New Mexico a few years ago. 
We were told it was made about 1,200 years ago. And whoever drew it, drew it striped like a zebra. Well, the evolutionists were all scoffing at that. They couldn't have known what it looked like. It's been gone 65 million years. Then they found a mummified duck-billed dinosaur in South Dakota a few years ago. It was mummified. The skin was preserved. And it was striped like a zebra. Somebody had to have seen them. Hey, do you know in the last 20 years, more than 50 non-fossilized dinosaur bones have been found? that still have red blood cells, amino acids, and soft, flexible dinosaur tissues in them. Last year, they found dinosaur DNA in some of those remains. How could those biological materials have lasted 65-plus million years? Maybe all those sedimentary layers laid down by water that make up the crust of the Earth were laid down by <coughs> water <laughs> about 4,500 years ago. Well, people say to me, hey, Russ, the word dinosaur, though, isn't in the Bible. Well, the word dinosaur was only invented about 180 years ago. Dragons and serpents are mentioned more than 20 times. Now, I think God's describing a dinosaur here, but you decide for yourself what you want to believe. He tells Job, behold now behemoth, which means largest, which I made with thee. We were, man and beast were both made on day six. He eats grass like an ox. Well, some... Well-meaning theologians who bought into the secular atheistic belief that dinosaurs have been gone 65 million years try to explain that away. Well, maybe Behemoth was an elephant or a hippo. Well, read further. His strengths are in his loins and belly, strong loins and belly. Well, elephants and hippos do have big, strong bellies. Maybe one of those is Behemoth. This guy's got a big, strong belly. <laughs> Kids don't like that when I show that, but... But my friends, here is a creature that had to have strong loins and belly to balance that huge, heavy, long neck and head and that long, heavy tail. Reading further, he moves his tail like a cedar. A tail like a cedar? That's not a tail like a cedar. <laughs> cedar stump, perhaps. But my friends, there's a tail that's like a cedar tree. I think God's describing a, a seropod-type creature, the largest land dweller that breathes through its nostrils. And I also think God deserves a credit for his created types. And I think we need to recapture dinosaurs from Satan who's been using them to mislead not millions, billions of people around the globe at the youngest age, indoctrinating them from the very start. And we need to start teaching our kids the biblical interpretation, which actually fits the actual evidence out there. Oh, but wait a minute. The Bible also, God also talks about Leviathan and a flame goes out of his mouth. Fire-breathing creatures. Hmm. You know, we don't have them to test, study, and observe today. Can we come up with a theory to try to explain fire-breathing animals? Well, what about this as a theory? This is the bombardier beetle. He's about a half inch long, but when he gets threatened by a spider, he sprays that spider with a chemical that is 212 degrees Fahrenheit, the boiling temperature of water. He was designed with twin chambers that store two volatile chemicals apart from one another because if he was evolving slowly over long ages, the first time those chemicals touched, kaboom, that would have been <laughs> the end of the bombardier beetle, right? But that's a, that's a design issue. It's another thing to talk about. But when, once he's threatened, they go from the storage chambers to a combustion tube where enzymes are added, causing oxidation to take place, producing a chemical that is the boiling temperature of water. 
He can do this in one half of one second. How long does it take you to boil water? Talk about intelligent design, right? And he can spray this concoction and hit a spider right between the eyes with boiling chemicals. Wow. But what in the world does that have to do with fire-breathing creatures? What about this as a viable theory? Since we don't have them to test and study today, let's go back to the duck-billed dinosaur like Parasaurolophus that had the huge crest uh, coming off of his head. Now, nobody knows what that crest was for. It was filled with a complex series of passages, tubes, and chambers. There are about a thousand guesses on what that is, from a big sword it fought other dragons with, to maybe a big nose, an olfactory organ, to a trumpet it used in the mating season. They don't, they, they, they're just guessing. But perhaps these were storage and combustion chambers that stored volatile chemicals apart from one another. And perhaps when he was threatened, they went from the storage chambers to combustion tube, and when he breathed this concoction out and they hit the oxygen, well, perhaps a flame went out of his mouth. Just a theory, not there to test, study, and observe today. Oh, but in Isaiah, it talks about fiery flying serpents, too. Fiery flying serpents. Well, this is a painting from about 570 or so years ago of St. Michael and the angels fighting what they call the wyvern, which is a large reptilian creature with long leathery wings. Oh, this is the pteranodon. He was a large reptilian creature with long leathery wings. Notice the huge crest coming off the top of his head. Nobody knows what the crest was for. It was filled with a complex series of passages, tubes, and chambers. Maybe those are storage and combustion tubes. And maybe when he mixed this concoction and they hit the, the oxygen, perhaps we had a fiery flying serpent. It's just a theory. Not there to test, study, and observe today. Where I live in Arizona, just north of where I live, is the Wapaki National Monument of Native American Ruins. And on the Wapaki is found this cave drawing of a fire-breathing dragon. We're told it was made about 1,100 years ago. Notice the huge crest coming off the top of its head. Wow. Interesting. On our Grand Canyon rim raft trips we do with, with Compass, we actually go by some dinosaur tracks. It's, an, it's a watering hole, old watering hole. There are T-Rex tracks, Utah raptor tracks, uh, Tronodon tracks. Uh, those are all post-flood. And all this information I've been showing you is post-flood. They had to exist after the flood. God said bring two of all sorts onto the ark. There were only 50 kinds of dinosaurs. He only had to bring two of each kind. And the large ones, like the seropods, I'm going to guess he brought young ones so they would live longer to reproduce. And they were probably the size of an Indian elephant. And that was probably the largest animal on the ark. What about prophetic accuracy? Well, depending on how you add them up, there are around 2,000 prophecies in the Bible. About 95% have already happened with total accuracy. Try to get 10 in a row. The mathematical odds are impossible. The Bible's hundreds out of hundreds. Many are occurring right before our, our uh, eyes today. One that I just want to mention right now is found in the New Testament, that in the last days there will be scoffers. You ever see a scoffer? <laughs> and they're going to be willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the world that was being overflowed with water perished. This is one of the greatest prophecies in the New Testament. 1,900 years ago, we're told in the last days, scoffers would deny the global flood. 
Well, why in the world would you care about the global flood? Well, you see, the old Earth beliefs that were invented 200 years ago were all based on the Earth's crust having formed slowly over long ages of time, not quickly in a global flood, which would wipe out every old Earth belief. So they deny the flood and say, hey, those layers laid down by water didn't form uh, you know, quickly in a flood, but formed slowly as you slowly evolved without God. And we teach this as if it were science today. We teach kids that millions of years of death brought them into the world. And then on Sunday, we tell them that we brought death into the world, separating us from God. And it doesn't make any sense to them. Do you see that? You can't teach millions of years of death brought man into the world, and then Adam's sin brought death into the world. Do you see that? Wow. Did I mention Satan is really good at what he does? Goodness gracious. They've got so many problems with the dating methods and using the geologic column as a dating method. Somebody sent me this package of rock salt. The label says, according to the geologic column, it's 250 million years old. And at the bottom, it says it expires in June of this year. <laughs> Somebody's wrong. And I love showing everybody just who that is. Praise God, right? God tells us that he judged man's sin once already with a flood that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. And any way you try to explain that way, slice it or dice it, that is a global flood. And if there had been a global flood, if God's word were actually believable, Earth's crust would be made up of sedimentary layers of rock stratified out by grain size, weight, and density. So you have all shale together, all sandstone together, all mudstone together. If they hadn't formed quickly in a flood, they'd just be a big brown conglomerate. Why are they stratified? It's just like a miner with a pan. He scoops up some sediments and water, and he sloshes it back and forth in the moving. Water separates the sediments by grain size, weight, and density. Gold being the densest falls to the bottom. On a global scale, that year-long flood eroded the top two miles of the Earth's crust roughly, then separated the grain sizes and laid them down so we have all shale, all sandstone, all mudstone together. And those layers laid down quickly in the flood are filled with millions of dead things that we call fossils. Things that were buried so quickly they didn't even have time to rot away or get eaten by scavengers. I was speaking at a church in California last month and I... I drove out from my house, and about two miles down the road, someone had run over a raccoon right in the middle of the road, squished it, deader than a doornail. I came back four days later, scavengers had already eaten it. I thought for sure that it would lay there for millions of years, waiting for strata to build up around it. <laughs> Things have to be buried immediately. Those are all awesome proofs of the global flood. And also, no transitional fossils are found. No half this, half that are found because Darwinism is the biggest fairy tale, faulty fairy tale in the history of the world. You know, if there was a global flood, we should find fossils of the sea-dwelling creatures in the lowest layers because they were the first things buried. We should find marine fossils throughout all the layers that were laid down by water and the land dwellers in the upper strata, they could move higher and when they were drowned, they floated and, and were destroyed. And that's exactly exactly what is found. Number eight, let's continue with geology. The Bible tells us at the start of the flood, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. Well, the hot fountain waters warmed up the oceans. 
It's estimated that the floodwaters averaged up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit on average. This led to massive evaporation and cloud cover. These clouds were pounding rain down on, over the equators and pounding snow onto the poles, forming the one and only ever ice age. Now, toward the end of the flood, as the oceans cooled, the evaporation ended, and probably six or 700 years after the flood, the one and only ice age ended. The ice age was a very tropical, warm climate. We had these 100 plus degree oceans. It was a very lush climate. You ever wonder why the Egyptians built their great cities and, and civilizations in the middle of a desert where there's not even a blade of grass today? Because that was lush uh, grasslands and forests at the time that they built those civilizations. And God turned off the spigot, and they're sitting there going, wow, what in the world happened to this? But that's another issue. Toward the end of the flood, the fractured plates of the one continent, we call that Pangaea today, split up along where the fountains of the deep had erupted, shifted apart in what we now call continental drift. It happened quickly toward the last few months of the flood, not slowly, over hundreds of millions of years. And if you have issues with any of those, Ice Age, Pangaea, Continental Drift, radiometric dating, carbon dating, etc., I cover that in an Old Earth Global Flood, as well as in my book, Cost. Number nine, what about Grand Canyon? We're told Grand Canyon formed over hundreds of millions of years. They, they now say it formed over seven million. It depends on which day of the week it is. Uh, they say six or seven million years is the current flavor, uh, but millions and millions of years ago. They have to hang on to that time, by the way. But late flood erosion, the continents had split apart, and late floodwaters running across what is now the southwestern United States removed about layers about two miles deep over the southwestern United States. While that was removed, the mountains arose. The Colorado Plateau that was left after that a great erosional event, then buckled. And the Colorado Plateau, the top layers of Kaibab limestone, it buckled upward about 4,500 feet above the surrounding plain. If you've ever been to Grand Canyon, you, the Grand Canyon does not cut a mile deep into the plain. No, the area uplifted, Grand Canyon cuts through the upwarp. If you went to Grand Canyon, you're standing on top of the upwarp looking at the chasm that cuts through the upwarp. That's a satellite photo of Grand Canyon. The white is snow. It's on the upwarp, the uplifted part. And late floodwaters, uh, this should be of interest, but the secularists, the old earthers, don't have a viable theory to explain how Grand Canyon could have formed. Let that sink in. They don't even have a theory to explain it viably. They've got it going up and down and sideways and this way and that way, and uh, it just doesn't work. Their, their old earth theories, ancient river theory and the stream capture theory, have been debunked for years. There are several good theories that fit the biblical creation model. Um, I don't get into specific ones because I'm not trying to sell a book on it. And also because we don't really know which one really fits. I imagine they're all, they all have pieces that are correct. But Basically, late floodwaters channel in from the north through Marble Canyon and channel in from the east through the Little Colorado River Canyon, and they met at the base of the upwarp and cut through the upwarp in a matter of about six days, leaving behind Grand Canyon in a matter of minutes, not millions of years of time. We're talking water traveling an average of 120 miles an hour. 
Water is about eight pounds per gallon. You're talking hundreds of thousands of gallons traveling at over 100 miles an hour and carrying from bits of, of sand up to 200,000 pound boulders. It was like a giant belt sander ripping through the upwarp, leaving behind Grand Canyon in a matter of days. Today in industry, you, we use water with a bit of, grain, of sand or some sort of a grain in it under 50,000 PSI to cut hardened steel. Water is unbelievably powerful, and that's what God used to judge his creation. And Grand Canyon is a monument to God's past and coming judgments of sin. Number 10, and finally, what about logic? Can we logically believe the Bible over the secular atheist misinterpretations of the planet and life itself? Well, what about logic? Logic holds that the cause of any result that had a beginning, any result that had a beginning, the cause cannot be a part of the result. In other words, the, the cause of the universe, and this goes to Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity that shows the universe is a result that had a beginning cause, by the way. So logic holds that the cause of the universe had to exist outside of the universe's space, matter, and time. The cause of the universe cannot be a part of the universe. Darwinists and secularists teach the universe made itself. That is logically impossible, by the way. Of all ancient texts, only the biblical God claimed he was not a part of this world, that he existed outside of space, matter, and time. Logic supports that in the beginning, God created. Of all ancient religious texts, and I guess I should back up, who made God? That's a fair question, right? Who made God? Well, of all ancient religious texts and texts in general, only the biblical God claimed to be eternal, living from everlasting to everlasting. This fact puts the biblical God outside of the laws of cause and effect. In other words, cause and effect reveal that the biblical God is the only logical creator of the universe. Can we put our trust in the word of God? I think so. And real science is your best friend. The purpose of our ministry is to teach that God's word is true, word for word and cover to cover, and that real science is a believer's true friend. Let me end with this. How can we explain a loving God in this world full of death and suffering? Well, very simple. Now, if you've accepted old earth beliefs, put death before Adam, you can't answer that question. But the biblical answer is this. God didn't give us the world the way it is today, full of death and suffering. God gave us a perfect creation. What happened to it? Adam's first sin. Adam's original sin brought on the curse, allowing death to enter. And that's why we live in a world full of death today, but have a loving creator. And that's the end of that answer, but it should go further. And that further answer is that original sin not only brought in death, but it separated us from God, requiring our redemption with him. But we can't redeem ourselves with God. We're all sinful. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you, even a paper clip? We've discussed this five seconds, and you've all admitted you're a bunch of lying thieves. <laughs> so God loves us so much, he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die in our place so if we but believe in him, we can put on his righteousness and stand righteous before our loving God. That's a loving God. And that's the foundation of the gospel message. My friends, put your trust in the Lord Jesus of the Bible. Let me end with a word of prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for Compass International and all the dear souls that are here today. I hope and I pray the information we shared will be encouraging, eye-opening, and faith-building. I ask this in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. You've been watching Scientific Reasons We Can Trust the Bible, presented by Russ Miller. To view more stealing titles, get information on our Holy Land trips, and future Bible conferences, go to compass.org.